point where we're ready to be growing in the Lord and ready to become more mature. And we need to allow ourselves that room to grow. Amen? But tonight I want to talk to you about being called and sent forth. And I love this passage of Scripture in Isaiah 43. But now, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flames scorch you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt for your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba in your place, since you were precious in my sight. You have been honored and I have loved you. Therefore, I will give men for you and people for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your descendants from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up. And to the south, do not keep them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. Isn't that a wonderful passage of scripture? He's speaking specifically to the Jewish people, but as this is the Bible, God's word, from cover to cover, Old Testament and New Testament, we believe that it is all for us. Amen? It's not just for Jewish people. We can take and we can apply that to our lives. And what I see in this, first of all, is that God doesn't call perfect people. My dad always had this saying. He said, you don't clean fish before you catch them. That'd be pretty hard to clean a fish before you caught it, wouldn't it? And same thing with people that we're seeking to reach out to. You are in the middle of a place. You are, you, do you believe you're in God's will? First of all, let's ask that question. Do you believe you're in God's will? Well, it, it's not always a bed of roses, is it? <laughs> Even if it is, roses have thorns. You know, it, it, there are difficulties. And, and if you're in God's will, if you're God, in God's place, you know, there's going to be things that happen that you are there for a reason and for a purpose to minister to those people. And also the other thing is God is doing something in you. You know, I, I remember uh, when I was a summer intern, uh, the pastor said, well, you know, we're going to go out to this fellow's house. And I m ministered to him in the hospital. I led him to the Lord, but I just want you to know he's saved, but he's a little rough around the edges. You know, he still, he still had some of the sailor talk, you know. He, but he was saved. He was redeemed. He, he was on his in his final days, I understand. But, you know, there were some things, rough edges on him. God was still working on him. You know, and it's so wonderful that God is uh, patient to us like that. Many times, this is not the only time in Scripture that God says he's called Jacob or he addresses Jacob. What in the world? God, why would you even remember Jacob? Why, Jacob is such a worthless person? Jacob is that old man. Jacob is called the supplanter for a reason. He's a deceiver. He's the one that grasped the heel of Esau. 
That's why he got his name, Jacob. Why? Who would want Jacob? But God says, I've called Jacob. I've called Jacob. Who were you? Once upon a time, <laughs> God called you. God didn't wait till you were perfect to call you to himself. He loved you and he called you and me to himself when we were in our sins without hope. He called us to himself, and that's wonderful. And then he says he calls Israel, which is Prince of God. You know that God changes your name. He changes your name and gives you a new name in the book of Revelation. It talks about that, how those who are redeemed will have a new name. And it's a name that's been given them by the Lord. And that's going to be a wonderful day. But the other thing I see in this passage is this. Everyone who is called is called by God's name. It, it's interesting that it was unbelievers in Antioch that first began to call people Christians, and it wasn't a compliment. They saw people that were in the way, which is what the, uh, the apostles called it. They called Christianity in the way. And so when the Antioch people saw them, they said, wait, you're, just, you're one of those Christians, aren't you? And it, it stuck. But instead of it being a slang like that, we say, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. I believe that he is my Savior. And there, there's some other things here that I see about God's provision when he calls. You know, God doesn't expect you to go for him and to be for him without providing you something to do it with. Amen. That's awful small print, Philip. I hope that they can read that. But here it is. God's provision is this. Fear not, for you have been redeemed. Fear not, for you have been redeemed. You are redeemed from all of the things of your past life. And all of the things that, that used to hold you down, you're redeemed. They don't have a hold on you anymore. They don't have a claim on you anymore. You have been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. And because of that, he has called you by name and put his stamp upon you. Praise God. That's, that's a, just a wonderful thing that we can hope in and trust in him. And the other thing, the next thing is we belong to the Lord. We belong to the Lord Jehovah. Do you know what that word Jehovah means? It means the self-existent one. And I can't wrap my mind around that. He's the one that did not have a beginning and he has no ending. I can't wrap my mind about that. He's the one that fills the whole universe, and yet he was the one who created the universe. He is bigger than all things. He's bigger than my problems. He's bigger than anything that might come my way day by day. He's God, and there is no one like him. You could look at it this way. God, there's not a problem that you put in front of me today that you can't handle. I was going to say you and I can't handle, but it's better to say that you can't handle. God, I'm going to walk in you today because you've called me. You've called me by, my, by your name, and I'm going to do what you want me to do. 
The next thing I said is, you will pass through waters. And waters do come, don't they? Trials, waters, things that try to overwhelm us, overflow us, you know, and try to, try to set us back. Tries that th things that we may seem emotionally at times like we just can't go another step. Have you ever felt like that? You ever felt like you're emotionally, you just, it, you just might, if you don't take five minutes and get away with the Lord, you just might have a nervous breakdown. You're just at that point. You know, and, and yet he says, you, you're going to come through it. You're going to come through it. You're not going to be drowned. Amen. And when you pass through the fire, you're going to be untouched by the fiery trials. And I think of the three Hebrew children as they were cast into the fiery furnace. They came out unscathed. Their clothing wasn't even burned. I've been around fires, and, you know, you get too hot, and, man, singes the eyebrows <laughs> or the mustache, you know. And, boy, that stinks. But the three Hebrew children didn't have any of that fire smell on them. When you go through the fire, he, will, he has called you by name, Nelson. And when you go through the fiery trials, he's going to bring you through it. You're not going to be burned by it. Praise God. Because this reason, you were created, the scripture says, you were created in verse 7 for his glory. You were created for his glory. Now, lest you might say, well, that's good for the Jews, but, you know, I don't know if I can relate that to myself. Well, I want you to go to Isaiah chapter 65, verse 1, where God prophesies through Isaiah, and he says this, I was sought by those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. And I said, here I am, here I am, to a nation that was not called by my name. Wow. That's us. That's, that could be applied to every nation on the face of the earth, every human being on the face of the earth. God says, I have called them. And that's the Gentiles. That's us Gentiles. We have been called unto the Lord. And, and listen to what he says. I called and I called. I said, here I am, here I am. What's he calling for? When you, let me ask you this question. When you get your phone out and you call someone, are you just doing that just for kicks and grins? No, you want an answer, right? You want an answer because you want to talk to somebody. When God calls, he wants an answer. He wants an answer. At the beginning of Isaiah, uh, you know, Isaiah hears the call in chapter 6, and he says, Here am I, Lord, send me. Here am I, send me. God's calling is on our lives. Now, I'm not talking about a calling to preach, because not everybody has a calling to preach. However, if you look at that word preach in the original language, it's talking about not just standing behind a pulpit. It's talking about proclaiming. So we are all called to proclaim. I can't go where you go and proclaim, but you can go there. 
know, Brother Sherman can walk into any John Deere in southeast Missouri and they know who he is. And he can go among the farmers and they know who he is. They call him by name. They remember what he's done for them, how he helped them in 55 years he worked for John Deere and, and he found parts for them. He has a lifeline there with those people. And when they see him, he has a testimony. Did you know his testimony? Four months ago, he was in an accident, a head-on collision. That's just one. That's just one of the miracles that God did through him. What a testimony that is to all the people that are he comes in contact with. God's called you, Brother Sherman, not to come and stand behind a pulpit, but to share your testimony with all the people that you see. Look what God has done. I was hit head on. My truck was demolished. I was hit head on. They were going 80 miles an hour. And I survived. I broke 29 bones, but I survived. I was told I would not walk again, but I walk under my own power into the house of God. Glory to God. Woo! <laughs> That's mighty testimony, brother. Praise God. And you, every one of you, have a testimony that is very similar to that. God has called you. I can't, you know, even though I share Brother Sherman's testimony just now, I can't share it like he can share it. And I can't take it to the people that he comes in contact with. And, and the same with any of us. All of us have a niche where God has placed us. Oh, my. I know that might be hard to swallow sometimes. I've been there. I've been there. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you. Back in the, in the three years that I, between I was youth pastor and went to pastor a church, I was working at a, a shop, Honda shop up in Petoskey, Michigan. And they had a position. I was the parts person. Actually, they called me the parts manager, but I was the only parts person there. Okay, and and I had background in business, and and so I felt like, you know, I knew what I was doing, and the the assistant manager position came open, Jeffrey, and you know what they did? They gave it to somebody else. So I went on Sunday night. We had church. And I went up to the altar and I was complaining, Lord, you know, I'm not, I, here I am at this place. And sometimes I don't even like it. Sometimes I don't even like what I'm doing. But you know what? I had experience and they passed right over me, Lord. And I was complaining. And the Lord reminded me, and what, this, is, this is for you too. The Lord reminded me of what Jesus told Pilate. And, and all of us put ourselves in that position. Jesus, Pilate told Jesus, say something. Don't you realize I have the power to crucify you or to let you go? Jesus said this, you have no power over me except it was given to you from above. Oh, you listen to that. You're called. You're called. Where you are, God has put you where you are and those people have no power over you except God had allowed that power to be over you. 
and you are there, and you can smile right in the middle of all that's going on. You know what? The next morning, when I went to work, Monday morning, I was assigned to do a, a dirty cleanup job in the showroom. And I was sitting over there. I didn't even realize it. I was whistling. And the manager came by and he said, boy, you're happy today. And I realized it. What had happened was there was a change in my perspective as to how I looked at where God had placed me. And then it wasn't, but it, see, here's the reason why God didn't open that door for me, because it wasn't but a year after that that God opened a door for me to go and pastor a church. If I had taken that other door, that other job, if I had taken it, if I had said, God, you've got to give me this assistant manager position. If I had done that, then I might have been stuck there and not been seeking the best will of God for my life. Interesting, very interesting, huh? <laughs> we need to go on. Romans chapter six, 5, excuse me. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. And it, for if we were... For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. This word is not in this passage, but... I wanted to talk about a word that it kind of refers to. And the word is called atonement. Atonement is when we are made in right relationship with God. It is by the atonement, the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ. But look at the way that I've, uh, that I've hyphenated that. Is it atonement or is it at one -ment? Did you get that? Is it atonement or is it at one -ment? God was the offended person by my sin. God was the offended person by your sin, by Adam and Eve's sin, going on down, all of us. We're all sinners. But yet, God, in His mercy, sent His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to pay the penalty for my sin. Which the only way, the only thing that could purchase that would pay the atonement for my sin was the shedding of blood. It required, if I did not confess, if I did not repent, it required the shedding of my blood. Now, we live in a society where we are not punished severely for things that we do. However, in the time that Paul wrote this, there were people, remember that Jesus, when he was hanging on the cross, he was hanging there between two thieves. I mean, these guys were not, told, they didn't say that they were murderers. 
It didn't say that they were kidnappers. It said they were thieves. And they got killed, hung on a cross for their crime, for their sin. Wow. That's pretty brutal. But what have we done? What are the sins that we have committed before we met Christ? Were they not worthy of crucifixion also? But God said, no, I send my only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to come and shed his own precious blood. And through the shedding of his blood, the one who believes in him could be at peace with God. That is the atonement. That is him making us at one with God as we accept the sacrifice of his son. You know, we used to have this thing when we were growing up, Pastor Kevin has alluded to this at times, that our view of God was that God was up there in heaven with a big baseball bat ready to whammy us if we stepped out of line. <laughs> That's the way we felt. But you know what? We're at peace with God because of Jesus Christ. When we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, 1 John 1, 9. He cleanses us so that we are at one with God. We're at peace with God now. We can sit down at the table with God. We can fellowship with him. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Then uh, the other thing that I wanted to point out is this. The word justified, because it does talk about that in this passage as well. And justified means he makes us just as if we had never sinned. Isn't that wonderful? He makes us just as if we had never sinned. I heard it explained like this years ago. Is that when it's, you know, that scripture that talks about also, it says he puts our sins in the sea of forgetfulness. And it's like when we confess our sins, he throws them out there into that. And then when it seems like they come up again in our minds, we say, God, remember that thing that, that I did. You know, I'm sorry. You know, I'm just really feeling bad about that. Forgive me, God. God says, what? Did you hear that? God said, what? He said, it's forgiven. You've confessed it. You're forgiven. should let a load off your chest. <laughs> because you are forgiven. You are on your way to heaven. You are called. You know, and the other things that I see in this passage are, are this next listing that I have here. While we were sinners, while we were sinners, while we were without strength, while we were even the enemies of God, he reached out reconciled us to himself. I like what Rush Limbaugh said one time on the radio. He, he said that, you know, Christianity is different than Islam because Islam says, give me your babies so that they can have a bomb strapped on them and, and they be killed. Christianity says, I give you my baby, my son, so that you can have life. Not only life, but life more abundantly. Amen. Wow. 
you like that song? And he walks with me and he talks with me. Amen. That's an old, old hymn, but it just, there's a lot of good meaning there. He tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none ever, other has ever known. Just like that song we sang tonight. Never known a love like this. That Jesus would love me. And his love is that agape love, that unconditional love. He loves me that much. He loves you that much. Next passage of scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 21. For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, anyone, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us this word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him to be no sin to, for us, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are a new creation. You are a new creature. You are just, just filled with his presence and forgiven of your sins. You're wonderful, like your feet are walking, you're walking on air. Because you're a new creation. You know, that uh, scripture is one of Stephanie, my wife's uh, main scriptures. Back when, before we got married, I'd asked her to marry me, and she was talking to Sister Lucia, and uh, she was telling her, well, I don't know if I should marry Pastor Ken because of all the things that I used to do. And Lucia, Sister Lucia told her, well, go talk to him. <laughs> and she did. We met on lunch and walked around the block, and she started to tell me things. And you know what? The message that our church down there had taught, was teaching, that love, acceptance, and forgiveness that just welled up within me. And I, and I said, you know, Jesus has accepted you. He has forgiven you. That is your past. That is B.C., before Christ. And if he doesn't hold you that against you, I'm not going to either. And it, here's the beautiful thing, though. My landlady lived next door. You've heard Pastor Kevin talk about Sister Helen Sands. She lived next door, and she had this huge avocado tree. And you guys go to Aldi's or Walmart and get the avocados, you know, and they're about like this. Forget about it. 
The avocados in Florida are about like this. Anyway, she has this avocado tree, and it's bigger than the ceiling in here. It's that tall. It's, it's huge. And she had to, this bench, this concrete bench in the backyard. And so I said, you know, after we walked around the block, I said, let's go back there and sit. And so we went back there and sat down on the bench and came to that point where I said, you know, if Christ has forgiven you, you know, and accepted you, I accept you. You know, because that's your past. And you know what happened? I looked over on the ground, and there was a dead dove. And at the same time, a living dove flew out of that avocado tree. <laughs> I said, see? That's who you were. That's the old person, the old man. It's died. It's, it's finished. It's over. And the new you is flying and alive. That's how Christ views us. That's how he views you. Amen. So what should we do then with other people? If we've been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, should we just keep that to ourselves and say, boy, what a lucky person I am. I'm going to join the apostles up in heaven. And I'm going to see all the saints in that glorious. And what a lucky person I am. Very fortunate to have that. No, we shouldn't keep that to ourselves. We should share it. Because we have the agape love of Christ. That's what, in part, this looks like. We have the agape love of Christ. That means we love people in spite of how they may look, how they may smell, or what they have done to us. We love them. Think of what Jesus did. And, and it's, it's very simple, and you can remember this verse. I don't know what the address of it is, but here's what Jesus said. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Okay, You can remember that, can't you? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. When someone wrongs you, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Show them the agape love of Christ. Show them the agape love of Christ. It'll blow their mind. It will. Then the next thing is, it says there in this passage, we no longer live to please ourselves. We no longer live to please ourselves. I no longer do what I want to do. Or maybe I do what I want to do because what I want to do is better now than what Christ wants to do. Maybe that's another way to look at it. But we don't go to around to please ourselves. We go around to please our Father and to please, please the Lord, to do His bidding, to do what He wants us to do. And then we continue in our ongoing reconciliation. We're not just reconciled once. We just we got our ticket punched. We're on our way to heaven. Praise God. Hallelujah. We're reconciled. Now we can go and do what we want. No. We continually, every day, morning by morning, evening by evening, all throughout the day, continue to walk in reconciliation with God. And not only with God, but with other believers and other people. And then we extend to them 
reconciliation to be, period. We don't make a list of people's wrongs. That's what it says here in the scripture. Not imputing, Jesus reconciled the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. In other, what that means is he didn't make a list. Okay, so this is what I'm dying for. Okay, yeah, Nikki. Oh, man. Dying for her. Jesus didn't make a list like that. Jeffrey, I'm dying for this, you know. No. He didn't make a list like that. He, he didn't charge us with our trespasses. He forgave us. He forgave us. And so as we conduct ourselves in like manner, like Christ, we don't make a list calculating and imputing people's wrongs to them. Don't keep a list of people that have hurt you. And we have, Paul said, the word of reconciliation. I don't, and I don't, I'm, I don't know what that word is. I tried, tried to figure out what that word is. It's not the word ramos, but it's the word logos. But what, what is the word of reconciliation? What do you think it is? What do you think a word of reconciliation might be to someone? It says we have the word of reconciliation. What would you say to someone if they offended you? Huh? Love, we forgive you, okay? What, what, what would we say? So we have a word of reconciliation. Have you ever thought about this? We may be the only Jesus that people ever see. What kind of Jesus are we showing them? We have a word of reconciliation. A word that reaches out to people and says, I accept you. I love you. I'm for you. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to help you. I want you to know my Lord. I want you to be a part of our family. That's the word of reconciliation. It doesn't have to be. You know, interestingly enough, since we are people that believe that Holy Spirit lives inside of us, right? Interestingly enough, the word of reconciliation can then can be vibrant inside of us and new and something different every time. I mean, it just flow out of our mouth. And we don't know why we said that to some people. And it wasn't bad, but it was something good. And how we do that, how we treat other people, how we speak to other people in a word of reconciliation. Then the next thing I find here in this passage is everywhere we go and with everyone we know, we should show forth the Spirit of Christ. Everywhere we go and with everyone we know, we show forth the Spirit of Christ. This holiday season is a good time for that, especially. Have you met some checkout people that really are very grumpy right now? We got to really show the love of Christ to them, don't we? Amen? And everywhere we go, saying that Jesus loves people, not being afraid of what the world may say, 
I'm not afraid to say Merry Christmas to someone because Jesus is the reason for the season. He's the hope that we have. And so we shouldn't be ashamed of what he's done, how he came to the earth. And the message of the gospel is a message of hope. It's not a message of condemnation. It's a message of liberation. Amen. And so as we share the love of Christ, even if someone were to say to you, we share the love of Christ, well, don't put me down. Well, we're not putting you down, man. We're just saying Jesus loves you. And he died for you. Well, yeah, but you're saying that I need somebody, that I'm a sinner. Well, I was a sinner too. And Jesus touched me. Jesus saved me. So, you know, we're all the same in this walk that we have. Except we have to come to the point where we say, what will we do with Jesus? What will we do with Jesus? You know, and, and the other thing I wonder about too in my life is this. If everywhere I go, and with everywhere I, one I know, I haven't always shown forth the Spirit of God or the Spirit of Christ. Man, Lord, I'm sorry. Hello? I'm sorry, Lord. Help me from this time on. What do I do? Do I then wallow in that and say, Oh, man, I'm just such a miserable Christian. I'm such a miserable witness. I'm not even a good preacher. I just, I'm just worthless. No, I shouldn't do that. I just say, Lord, I'm sorry. I get up and I go again. Amen. Because God has put inside of each one of us a great witness for the Lord. And again, I can't go where you go. You go to different places where I will never be. But everywhere we go, we should share the Spirit of Christ, the love of Christ. One last passage in Ezekiel. Eight, chapter 3, verses 18 through 21. This is just a, a stirring passage when you think of it. When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life. That same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Mm. Yet if you warn the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. Again, when a righteous man turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, and he sh shall die, because you did not give him a warning, he shall die in his sin. And his righteousness which he has done shall not be remembered, but his blood I will require at your hand. Nevertheless, if you warn the righteous man that the righteous should not sin, and he does not sin, he shall surely live because he took warning. Also, you will have delivered your soul. So right now, from this moment, you understand your ministry. say you were getting getting to go into a paid position. I'm not saying that. A lot of times that's what we think of as ministry. Your ministry, my ministry is the ministry of reconciliation. That's the ministry that we have. The 
ministry of reconciliation. That God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. We speak that, we share that, we show love of Jesus. And God has called each one of us to have a part in that. And he's the one that sends us forth with this word. He does. Bless him. And he says, go here. Do this. Do that. Amen. Stand with me, okay? Lord, we thank you for your word. And your word is truth. And your word is such strength to us. Thank you that you have called us. Lord, you have set us aside to be your people. Lord, we're, we are so humbled that you do love us. And that you have forgiven us. And Jesus, that you did shed your blood for us. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Help us, Lord, to be the ministers of reconciliation to the people in the world that we come in contact with. Let us speak love and show love to people. Lord, let your grace flow through us, Lord. Your mercy. Touch the people in our families, Lord, that we'll come in contact with in the next week. Lord, let your light shine through us. Draw them to yourself, I pray. Use this, Lord, for your glory, your kingdom, in Jesus' name.